Gratitude and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness explores our relationship with grief, the gratitude for our humanity, and the greatness we attain when we tell our stories. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. Sometimes we unconsciously make choices based on what others feel is best for us, even though it's not what we really want. I speak to Clarice about how an unwelcome diagnosis allowed her to begin living for herself. I was just another girl from Pittsburgh who wanted to just make her parents proud. That was very much my life goal for a while. And then when you start to come of age, what is that, 12, 13, your parents are kind of like, find a nice boy who will take care of you and get married and don't do what we did, that kind of notion. And then, of course, at the same time, you're like ultra boy crazy. So it becomes this, got it, check, life purpose. Totally hear you. And then at the same time, as I got into high school, something was like, man, I don't know. I don't know that I fit in here. I always say I was this dreamer in a city full of realists, you know, and every time I had this out-of-the-box idea, it was so quickly shot down and pushed aside. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, why would I want to move to California? That's terrible. And so when I finally stopped listening to everybody else and finished college, it was like, actually, I'm out of here. I moved to Sacramento first and then moved to San Diego a year later. When I moved to San Diego, I found the boy and thought I had life going for me. I was like, okay. I just got my first real big kid job, serving justice as a paralegal and legal assistant. And yes, and I had it all. I was like, this guy, that maybe he could be the one. And I'm inside this relationship. And next thing you know, I get a herpes outbreak. Mm. Did you even know what was going on? No. The first time, maybe it was like in January, we'll say. I remember seeing it and being like, that's ah, probably just an ingrown hair. No, no, no. We'll just put some rubbing alcohol and a Band-Aid on it. Four inches from my belly button. That's totally an ingrown hair, right? I just remember being like, no, he's so faithful. Why would he? We're so in love. You know, later on, I had my first real outbreak and then you get it tested and then it, yep, Planned Parenthood gives you this card that's like, you're positive. Have a great day, you know? And, and you're kind of, well, now what do I do? If my whole world was based on being this like, pretty face with a great body and my responsibility is to provide the sex for the person that pays for you. That was all that my world was built on. Mm. It just came crumbling down. I just remember being robbed of all of these hopes and aspirations that I had for myself. You never know where you got it from, right? The first outbreak is supposed to be two weeks after you've contracted it. Mm. But then you read all these other conflicting articles. You could have had it for your whole life. One website that said this and then another website cancels that out. And then you're just kind of spinning that you see the worst case scenario pictures where, whoa, does it progressively get worse to that? Is that what's going to happen? And back then, I don't think it was grieving, but nothing was possible. I would never find the significant other that would want me now. Like, who wants this? Mm. I really related to myself as poisonous and playing with fire. How did your partner at the time process this with you, this diagnosis? I think we'd broken up first. 
I think because of the breakup, I was not eating right. I was stressed out. I was alone in a city by myself. You know, I'd built everything around being with him. And I had the actual outbreak. And I think because it was the same exact location and this time it was two, I was just kind of like, oh man, it is it. I remember trying to get back together and just being like, I need to make this work because who else is going to want this? It was very much like he did his research and was like, we can make it work. Like, yes, let's just do this. We'll get back together. Never wanting to get tested himself. So, you know, there's speculation. Was it you? Was it not you? Like, what does that prove? So I really just kind of let that go. And it's not ill feelings, but somehow I made it my fault. Right. It was because previously I was so lost and I thought that I had to sleep around to figure out who I was. And then it's crazy. So the first person I actually did tell was my mom yeah. because I was like, well, I'm her daughter. She's not going to reject me. And it was just really cool for her to be like, oh, well, I have it. Like, here's all the things I do. And that just lifted so much off of me. It was so relieving to yeah. be like, oh, my mom's not going to reject me. Her stepping in as mom and putting herself aside, where I used to once hate that my mom was filled with so many wives' tales. That I was just <laughs> kind of like, all right, lay it on me, mom. I'm ready. There was this little star of gleaming hope. Whoa, when you tell people, it feels better. Oh, yeah. And like, let that blossom because I was like, hey, what about support groups? It's so hard that it's so stigmatized that this stuff is so underground and you really have to dig for it. And I found one locally. Oh my God, it's in a hospital. And I'm not a germaphobe, but also a germaphobe. And like hospitals kind of freak me out. So right. I dodged a couple. And then finally I was like, oh my God, I have to go. I think I spent a whole year not even wanting to date. I internalized this whole process after breaking up with the person that may or may not have given it to me. I internalized it and bottled it up for a year and then just was like itching to share. Found a support group and it was like crazy because you get in there and there's like a medical part of the group. The next week is come and share openly. Mm -hmm. But the medical part, you hear the numbers. 90% of the people that have it don't know they have it. Why are there only five people in this room? You know, the statistics of 50% of the population has it. Is that true? Yeah. There's so many. It's crazy. So HSV-1 is on your lips. It's Those mm -hmm. are the cold sores. HSV-2 is sexually transmitted. It's even higher for people with oral herpes. So it's just crazy. It really just blew my mind. Kind of like any traditional group, you're going around like, hey, what kind do you have? I couldn't even say it. I just was like, don't even look at me. And trying so hard to bottle up, I just mourned. Mourned this piece of me that I lost. And it was just so heartbreaking. You mourned the innocent. Tell me more about who you were mourning. I feel like I was really mourning that innocent young girl, that girl that lived freely. I feel like I didn't have a very empowered relationship to sex from the get-go. I had a lot of traumatizing first times. Men were unkind to me. Mm. I think that I finally had this opportunity to really be empowered around sex or explore it more. And it was like, as soon as I did, this happened. I closed off. I'm done having sex. I'm done being intimate. I'm like done trusting, letting people in. And it really killed this innocence and really killed this naive part of me that just needed to be skeptical and over-precautious and just guarded. 
deflecting with sarcasm or cynicism and at the same time being so empathetic. I was a waitress and I just just was so manipulative to my men that would come and just taking it out on them, you know, Mm. subconsciously or consciously flirt with me, you know, and ruin your life. But you're also empathetic. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've always been the go-to to talk about anything. I think that I create this safe place or permission just by being so shamelessly maybe crass, maybe, you know, distasteful. But I've always just been this open book. Yeah. Authenticity. Yeah. I've just always been so authentic. I had to shut down that part of me. But I remember just because I've been so open that people would come and I would just want to care. And back then I wasn't really trained to do anything but fix people. My dad, I always felt was an alcoholic. And so a lot of the times it would be people who, you know, I thought were drinking in excess. And, you know, how could I get them to see that life is so much more than drinking? At least they don't have herpes. And I started to really isolate myself. Yeah. Like, how come you're drinking so hard? You have everything. Playing that, like, at least you don't have herpes, you know, but... And maybe they're... Fighting their own fight. Right. And they're thinking, mm-hmm. well, all she's got is herpes. <laughs> and I'm yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, it was crazy. I don't know that I started telling people until a few years later. It was just so against my nature. It's like, man, I've had this really huge, ugly secret I had to keep. But it was against your nature because you've been an open book. So, yeah, yeah, because I've been so open. It was cool. I don't I don't remember what flipped the switch. I had a really great friend that I was like, hey, I can't see you date another loser again. What is your deal? Look, you're so great. And if I were you, I mean, at least you don't have herpes, you know? And she just kind of was like, me too, but I think that's why that I date these people because they've got so much baggage that mine couldn't possibly be as bad as their kid to three other, you know, or whatever, right? And that's when I realized it was like, man, there's such a gift in sharing. And yeah. then she kind of let me know, like somebody I was really, really close to also has it. And that was just this heart expanding person oh my gosh, this all makes sense. And knowing their unfolding for how long we'd known each other, I was like, oh my gosh, there's such possibility and hope in sharing. And what happens when you don't share? A little part of you dies inside. I ended up finding a life coach and he became this cheerleader on my side where I could bring everything to. And I realized what it felt like to be supported for maybe the first time not have to compartmentalize these people in this group know about this thing and these people in this group support my entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, it really relieved this notion that my parents had to get it all. I just was hoping my parents would understand what it is to be an entrepreneur or what it is to be a nomad or what it is to be free-spirited. And once I relieved them of all that, they got to be my parents again and just my parents If you'd like to support our work with grief, gratitude, and greatness, consider becoming a backer on Patreon. Your support allows us to deliver conversations that help to dissolve the stigma and evolve our culture around grief. You'll find a link to contribute via Patreon in the show notes. And if you have a business that supports people who are listening to our show, let's talk about how you can sponsor an episode or two or three. It was just this huge awakening, right? I started to unpack 
myself. And I started to see, wow, herpes is a catalyst to defining myself outside of an attachment to a significant other. And I started to realize subconsciously or maybe through society or maybe through, you know, the American dream that finding your significant other and being married by 30 and having kids in a house wasn't for everyone. Maybe my purpose is to bring love to those that are struggling with a diagnosis. And I really got to see through empathy, other people were struggling only by letting go of the weight that I was carrying could I finally see other people too, you know? And it honestly took a lot of years, maybe three or four years. It's so crazy to see that in the beginning, I settled for so much baggage and so much excuses because I felt I was deserving of it. Yeah, it sounds like you were grieving a life that wasn't... Wasn't for me, really. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I was just so subconsciously operating from needing to be perfect yeah. in order to earn my dad's love that this thing shattered my, like, I'm the perfect daughter. Even though... Your mom has the same thing. Mm -hmm. That wasn't enough to break that need to be that perfect child. The connection was so deep with my dad. Yeah. Being what I viewed as an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. He can't put the beer down. He can't turn off the TV. He won't pay attention to me. Like that abandonment that so deeply wounds you Mm. was something that I made up that I had to be perfect. Love was earned. And that was the very core context and belief that I was operating from. And, you know, I had it for maybe five years before I even told my dad because I was so terrified that he was going to be like, oh, my little girl, you're not the perfect little girl anymore. Herpes was the evidence. Like, you know, you think you're imperfect and you're like, (laughs) everyone's like, oh my God, shut up. You're so perfect. Herpes was the real live proof that I was imperfect. Try to tell me I'm not because now I got this thing. And so telling my dad, you know, he probably thought I was going to tell him I was pregnant with triplets. Like I was so like, (laughs) dad, there's this thing. Like I really got to tell you. And I maybe dragged it out for 15 minutes. He was like, Clarice, you're really stressing me out. Please just tell me what this thing is, you know? And I was like, I like forgive that this happened. And I accept myself. And like in that, I realized, I can reclaim this part of me that I gave up on and that I like mourned for so many years. And so it sounds like you were both trying to explain to him (laughs) that you had herpes and explain the dynamic of your relationship with him at the same time. Oh, yeah. I 100%. couldn't have Couldn't have just one or the other. (laughs) It had to be, you know, and, and that's how it went. I literally was like, Dad, I just, I have this thing I have to tell you. And I, okay, can you just tell me the thing. You know, I was like, dad, I, you know that thing that mom has? Yeah, that thing. Like I have that thing. Like couldn't even say it. Yeah. I was so stressed out. And he was like, Clarice, I mean, your mom probably gave it to you. It's probably fine. It's not a big deal. Talk to her about what to take. Was I that scary of a human being? Did I do something that you feel that scared to come talk to me about this kind of stuff? And I just was like, oh, wow, that's also hard to hear. No, I I just made up the story that I needed to be perfect. I needed to like earn your love. 
Like, I, you know, I doubt I just like made up this thing that you're a little busy with alcohol and TV and stuff. He just was like, I was never too busy. And I'm like, okay, I can own that this is my perception. Yeah. As a seven-year-old kid, you make these things up. You don't know any different. But he said, you know, you're always so hard on yourself trying to be perfect. And I love you no matter what. And it melts in my heart. Man, if I could tell my dad, I can tell anyone. Right. I wasn't afraid to tell anybody else. It was like the final piece that I could finally let this be my experience. Yeah. And there was no validation or approval of others needed. So that must have felt so liberating. More than anything, you're grieving this relationship with your father. Your perception was informed by having a relationship that was not the relationship that Mm -hmm. you wanted, right? Yeah. I mean, we all know grief doesn't just disappear. How did it change for you at that point? It still lingers around disclosing to partners. Mm. That's always the like place where it lives. There's always that like, oh, date a couple or have a couple dates first and decide, does this person actually need to know? Is this going to go someplace? Mm. And it becomes like at the tipping point where you're kind of like, oh, I'm invested. You know, you kind of got a little hope. The fear of, okay, what's the tasteful time to say it? You know, how do I want to approach it? That grief of... I miss just not having to do this. Mm. I miss just being able to get in a relationship or talk or just have sex. Mm-hmm. And I get moments where I, I always try to like reparent myself. I'm like, hey, this is just a really cool filter now. You get to see whether people are actually worth it. If people aren't willing to accept this piece, that's not even a big deal. It's literally another skin condition like eczema. If they believe in stigmas and aren't able to look past it, then that's not the person for you. Yeah. The couple times I've been rejected, they hurt. Yeah. It's like that grief resurfaces. Life is so unfair. Like, what did I actually do to deserve this? I internalize it and take it very personal Mm -hmm. until I catch myself, you know, in that shame spiral of being so ashamed and feeling so sad. I then can really see like, yeah, it's not about me. That stigma for that person is deeper than their ability to see past it. Not that you blame society, but if we're not talking about these things that we hold so taboo or stigmatic, they get to continue to be taboo and stigmatic. Yeah. Did you ever ask your mom how she... She kind of does the whole like, yeah, I don't know. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's really, I can see how you kind of try to block those parts out Mm -hmm. and blur them out. You know, at the same time, it's super hard because if you don't practice telling people. It's hard to talk about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know whether we never had that rapport or, you know, she just never practiced talking about it. That just wasn't a fluid conversation. It was very like, yeah, nah. I'm just wondering if you guys talk about it, is it an ongoing thing that you're able to continue to talk about? Yeah. I always feel pretty open in having conversations. She's always, there's this theory or wives tale that you can't eat too many peanuts or something in peanuts evokes breakouts, right? Okay. So as a kid, I always remember mom like freaking out about peanuts. Oh. I always remember being like, don't get near me. Don't touch anything. Or, you know, so that stuff was always very present and very real. And it made me learn self-care on another level. I had just been fresh out of that breakup. And this is when my second outbreak happened. I just was eating apples and peanut butter. I just bought a whole furniture set. I was working like 75 hours a week and I was an office manager and I didn't make enough time to eat 
real meals. And I was addicted to the honey peanut butter because it's so sweet with apples. So now that I think about that, it's hilarious. But I just was like, okay, so the requirements to being proactive is make sure you're sleeping enough, make sure you have a balanced diet, you know, make sure you're taking supplements or, you know, at least, you know, eating enough of the nutrients, um, you know, if you choose to take lysine, right? So it made me realize how does my body feel? Am I getting the flu or is this a sign that I'm having an outbreak? Like, how can I make sure if I don't want to feel this shame or feel all this emotion, like that I'm learning to love myself? It's crazy how hard it feels and how devastating and awful when I did the work and looked at it instead of ran from it. I can turn around and talk to people. It's like I openly share with strangers. And it's so beautiful in my like vulnerability or my courage, how much that gives them permission to air out their grievances. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness. Have you told your friends about us yet? Word of mouth is an important way for us to reach more listeners. So spread the word and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. I came together to talk with Clarice about herpes. And in the course of our conversation, she revealed that she had experienced a sexual assault. While she did not go into detail of the event, I want to share this trigger warning with you. Do you find that people share things with you that they may not have shared with others? Oh, absolutely. I get it all the time. People are like, have you ever not told someone on purpose? Yeah. When I was blacked out and getting sexually assaulted, I remember this guy just asking me, like, hey, do you have condoms? And I was so paralyzed. And so I don't know if I was drugged or what, you know, I couldn't say anything. And it was after being diagnosed. Yeah. And this guy just looked at me and was like, do you have any SCDs? I could have said yes. I could have tried harder. And I just didn't. Were you on a date with this person? Did this person? No, I was at a club. I was at a club and I was with another person okay. and somehow ended up leaving with this person in a like hotel room. I don't remember leaving. I don't remember getting into a, a taxi. I remember nothing except for this person like naked on top of me and we're about to have sex. Wow. Yeah. You know, I hear people or I see people's trauma response or like I see them get uncomfortable and it was like, hey, look, I've been assaulted too. Yeah. And I think when I just share that people just see like, oh, you can talk about it without it being so this or like trust that it can be that and you'll work through it. What about the grief of surviving that trauma of a sexual assault? That took some unpacking because I noticed my pattern again of that was my fault. Hmm. I don't ever drink, hardly ever go out. Why did I wander off from the person that I was with? It was just kind of like, oh, this is another reason I don't drink. Because I'd put myself in that situation, I just was like, oh, this isn't assault. This is just like me being an idiot. This sounds like the argument that people make about, oh, well, why was she wearing that skirt? Or mm -hmm. what, you know, or what was she doing yeah. walking down that street? Right. It's so mm -hmm. incredibly upsetting to hear you say that you were blaming yourself for... Honestly, I made nothing of it. That was the part of me that was like, all right, well, I will never sleep with another guy again. That's official. It was like I tried to get back out there mm -hmm. again and then was just hit with another really awful thing. Like, we're done dating. I 
moved into a women's recovery home because I felt so like beaten up by life. Yeah. And you get to see women working with diagnoses of mental illness, of substance abuses and been abused. You get a dozen women on a roof and no matter what you fill in the blank with, we've all been struggling to find worth and enoughness, break up codependency, realizing that we've all subconsciously chosen that our worth is attached to something. Mm -hmm. And because we chose therapy and group healing, and it wasn't until like I was, I said at that recovery home that a bunch of women spoke up about their experiences and shared and bawled and cried and cried and cried. And I was like, so matter of fact about it. I had compartmentalized, oh, wow, I've had this kind of experience too. And people are like, Clarice, that's sexual assault. Any amount of alcohol in your system you wanting to say no and then not saying no or not being able to like, oh, really? Once people gave me this permission or like we looked at it and I felt held, I just cried. How many times have I just let these awful things happen and just tried to work through it mentally instead of feel that? Yeah, instead of feeling it. Mm -hmm. So when did you start feeling this women's circle, I mean, this women's house, we would have nights where we would just cry for hours or we'd have nights where we would just beat pillows and break things. In those places, I really feel like I always say like I'd hit this underground piping of all of this anger that I like had never tapped into. I accidentally hit it with a sledgehammer and it was just spewing rage. Mm. You're given this safe place to feel all the emotions that you've bottled up your whole life. Yeah. It was like, as soon as I had tapped into that anger, I was regularly getting rid of it, like through boxing or through destroying things, pillows, fences. I could be with my sadness, but I hadn't experienced my anger. Mm. And the anger was the way I realized like it's his fault and that person's fault and this person's, Mm. like I let myself have that. I'd let out the last 10 years of anger that I had pent up and then I could accept myself. I think once I reclaimed the part that I like banished and shamed and disassociated with, I'm no longer broken. I was never broken. I wanted to belong, but I also realized I belonged to myself. Yeah. Not that I had outgrown the program or I was done with the program. I'd picked myself up by my bootstraps emotionally and spiritually and I was ready to be amongst other people that were also, you know, light workers in the world that wanted to be entrepreneurs, that wanted to do heavy lifting, that had done their self-care, you know? So it was time. I had just finished one year of coach training. So I had become a coach. And that was based on the experience you had Mm -hmm. being coached. Yeah. I was like, well, what if I've been through all this awful stuff because I was meant to help people through it right? so that they didn't have to do it alone? So you help other people specifically that have a herpes diagnosis Mm -hmm. and you get people talking and you're taking away the stigma. Yeah. How do you get people to talk about it? How do you get people in community about it? I'm willing to go there. Like I'm willing to share being sexually assaulted and giving all the details. Like I'm willing to go there and share my experience and people can hear that in the lens of, you know, they'll be like, well, I haven't been assaulted, but I have had this happen. Yeah. You know, and they can see the connection of I've been through so much and I still show up. I feel like that's a little sparkling of hope, you know, that they too can. And so many people have been like, wow, like, thanks so much for sharing that. 
I had so freeing. I hadn't told so many people in so many years or I hadn't talked about it to anybody. I can take the significance out of it. You know, when I share it, it's like they can feel me. And it's not, oh my God, and this guy did this. You know, it takes the deflections, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone really actually wants to share. They just need to feel safe to do so. They can see that I'm not going to judge them because who am I to judge? And it's a lot of, you know, women with HPV is kind of like the first thing that a lot of people come up with. Like, oh my gosh, it's not that, but I, I do have this, you know, and the shame surrounded around that too. What I've learned, it's anybody who's been diagnosed. People hear that they're diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and they automatically create themselves as this defective person that's got something wrong with them. In my friendships and even in relationships, you're not your autoimmune disease. Yeah. Like, I don't stand for it. Right. I'm like, dude, that's not who you are. You're more than that, right? And when you create that space, you know, you can have it in conversation and people know that who I follow with or go with or people that I'm friends with are also going to be at that level. I feel my deepest connections when people kind of, I always say, show me they're ugly. It's yeah. like, I show you my ugly, you show me yours, you know, and I never tell people what's your thing. They just automatically do it. And then I create that space. Let's play cards. And then you start having that conversation and go in there. And then you realize I have something similar and it's just been so natural. I haven't really had to think about how to generate that. It just, I think authenticity is kind of the access point and just being raw really gives permission for people to show up to. We're curious to hear from our listeners. Do you have thoughts or reactions to something you heard in this episode? Or maybe you have an idea for grief, gratitude, and greatness and would like to share some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Links to contact us can be found in all the usual places or check the show notes. You mentioned Mm self-care. How do you continue to care for yourself? And it sounds like you're caring for a lot of other people too. Mm -hmm. You're pulling a lot of people along here. Yeah, absolutely. Hiring and having a coach has been the most crucial thing for me along the way. Yeah. And it's also been really incredible to see how it's super easy to be like, my coach can carry all of my hats, but to have a therapist and trust that when I outgrew talk therapy, it was like, okay, how about hypnotherapy, having an acupuncturist, all these modalities of healing, because it's not just coaching your mind, healing your soul, right? So how are you on a soul level tending to you? How are you on an energetic level tending to that energy, you know, whether it's saging or incense, you know, drum circles or whatever it is, really it's treating myself as a whole, not just this one size fits all, you know, so cliche, but really that mind, body, soul. It's like, how do you tend to your mind? Cool. How do you tend to your soul? How do you tend to your body? And it's really funny because that's what really helps you feel whole. It's really helped me to be like, oh, my mind's going wild today. What is happening? Oh, that's because it's raining incessantly and I haven't left my house, right? The mind isn't the very thing that's going to get you out of it. It made that thing. Moving your body is what helps you get out of your head. Yeah. You know, and it's created such self-awareness. I've always been this hyper-vigilant person. Oh, and how do you also tend to that? You know, like trusting people. 
I can share this story, but what about the really ugly judgments I have, trusting that I have people to go to when I'm like, man, here's me being super judgmental. Can I ask for your space, brain dump, and you just remind me how great I am because I've clearly forgotten. And not taking things so personal and making so much significance. The dating scene, it's super easy, you know, to get rejected and take it personal, but to remember, to reparent myself, you know, how would I have wanted my parents to show up for me and how can I be gentle and kind? I'm a firm believer in support groups. The adult children of alcoholics has helped me have the best relationship I never knew possible with my dad. Adult children? Of alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Kind of like an AA or co- Al-Anon or codependency. Mm-hmm. No one likes to talk about it, but I'm very open about it. People tried to push me for a year to that thing, and I was like, nope, nope. And they say go six times because the first time you're like, I don't need this. Second time you're like, these weirdos. Third times you're like, nope. But fourth time you're like, oh, man, you hear your life story outside of your body. Yeah. And you're like, I'm not alone. And then you start to realize, oh, my parents aren't messed up. It's literally hereditary. Your parents, parents, parents taught and modeled these things. So there was no way, right? And then you hear people that are ready to have kids and they're like, oh, you can't unscramble your kid's brain. It's already just going to happen, you know? And then you're like, oh, I don't have to be so afraid to have children. It's just personal work. You never stop being able to learn the depths of who you are and always being willing and open to learn and expand and just give yourself permission to have emotions. Breathe, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn and me, Sarah Shaul. The music was by Samantha Jensen. Visit us online at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at griefgratitudegreat. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review. Your feedback helps our show and helps us find new listeners. If you have a story of your own that you'd like to share or topics you'd like to hear more about, we'd love to hear from you. Call or text our show at 503-454-6646 or send us a message via the contact link at griefgratitudegreatness.com. Be sure to let your friends know about us and join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.